I don't always give up six minutes of my sermon for a video, but that one was certainly worth it. To courageously make other people's problems your own. A radical, selfless way of life. That's what we're talking about in this series. We're talking about this idea of biblical justice, and we've called it Do Justice, Love Mercy, Walk Humbly, and it's, the title comes right out of a verse, the verse that he mentioned in the video from the prophet Micah, Micah 6, 8, and, and scholars say, many of them, that this verse might just summarize the entire Old Testament, uh, Micah 6, 8, and so as we dive back in this morning to our last week in this series on biblical justice, I thought we would just read together this verse that we've kind of used as the launching pad for everything we've been talking about um, as we talk about biblical justice. So let's read this together, Micah 6, 8. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. This morning, we are going to talk about another key element of being and becoming people who have God's heart for justice in this world, and that's this little phrase right in the middle of this verse, right in the middle of our title, love mercy. This morning, we're talking about loving mercy, and I want to say this before we dive in. Sometimes I think we might look at this this verse, this call from Micah, and think that God is giving us three separate tasks that he's saying, hey, there's three points that I want you to kind of really latch onto. I want you to do justice, and I want you to love mercy, and I want you to walk humbly as if they're distinct from one another. And yet, that is not what this verse is meant to communicate. What Micah is trying to say is, in order to do justice, in order to be people of justice, people who have God's heart for justice in this world, We must learn to love mercy and walk humbly. In other words, our justice in this world will only go as far as our mercy and humility can carry us. You see, to love mercy and and to walk humbly are how we will be people of justice. See, this verse builds on itself. These are not three distinct points. And what this verse and the scriptures tell us is that if we want to be people of mishpat, of justice, people who bring shalom and peace to the earth, if we want to be people who partner with God to make things in this creation right again, then we must love mercy. Not an option. And this morning, we're going to look at these words, and I believe they offer us something in our quest to have this heart of justice that God wants us to have. Four things this morning. Love mercy is a call to empathy. It's a charge to activity. It's an invitation to change. And it's an example to follow. Four points this morning, and so we better get going. First, love mercy, a call to empathy. The the Bible word for mercy is this Hebrew word, kahesed. Say that with me. Kahesed. You're going to have to rattle your throat a little bit when you say it. And, and this is, by the way, friends, one of the most full, rich, vibrant words in the entire 
Bible. You know how when you go to Salt and Straw and you get a scoop of ice cream and it's got like, and it's like, hey, what's in this scoop? Honey, beets, goat cheese, and dishwater soap. And you're thinking, what? And then you, t- you taste the ice cream and you're able to actually detect every single element. You turn to your spouse and you say, I can really taste the dishwater soap. And it mixes so perfectly with the beets. I mean, that's, I don't know how they do it there, but there's so many layers and textures to that ice cream. And this word is much the same. There's there's so many layers to this word, kehesed. Some translations have it as kindness, some as goodness, some as mercy. But kehesed is really kindness, goodness, loyalty, and mercy-filled love all rolled into one. Some have said that at its heart, kehesed is about empathy and compassion it's a word that means to get inside someone's skin, to view life from their perspective, to attempt to feel what they are experiencing. Some of you may know that one of the ministries we talk a lot about at Cedar Mill, especially this time of the year, is a ministry called Royal Family Kids Camp. Uh, Royal Family Kids Camp is this week-long camp that our church puts on for kids who have been or are in the foster care system, and they go to camp for a week and just get loved on and doted on and get told about Jesus. And it's actually one of the ministries that drew my wife and I to Cedar Mill. The church that we served back in Ventura for 10 years, they had a Royal Family Kids Camp. It's where we were introduced to it. And so when we found out that you guys had a heart for these children as well, it's just one more way that God was sort of kind of bringing us together. But one of the things I remember most about our camp down in Ventura is that in the staff break room, and every camp has one of these rooms. We have one here. It's a room where you can go to get away from the kids for just a little bit, to catch your breath, to recharge, to, to write some things down, to spend some time in prayer, to get some candy, whatever we will fill your tanks. And in the staff break room at our camp in Ventura, there was always this big sign that they hung in there. And the sign read, look beyond their behavior. Look beyond their behavior. In other words, when a royal family camper misbehaves and is rebellious and won't listen and acts up, when they're difficult and demanding and disrespectful and sometimes even defiant, there was this call on this sign to practice kehesed. To attempt to get inside that kid's skin and to imagine life from his or her perspective and to try to feel what they've felt and to consider the things that they have experienced in their life and then, and then respond to their behavior. You see, Kehesed does not mean, by the way, friends, that there are never rules or standards or consequences or discipline But those things are enforced from a posture of empathy, from a place of trying desperately to understand, trying to get inside the story of the other. Think for a moment, friends, about places in our world where there are struggles with injustice. Think about our country, our nation, our society, and how many struggles we are in around the subject of injustice. Think about where people are butting heads about what is right and what is wrong. How to handle the situation at the border. 
All the racial tension and injustice that we feel and are experiencing in our world today. Gender injustice, sexual injustice, issues around how do we actually help the poor? The foster care system, get into that and see if there's not differing views and opinions on how things should happen and what justice looks like. You see, these are messy, scary, dividing things in our world. And it's interesting to me that when God calls us into these places of injustice, he doesn't say, get in there and do justice with boldness and courage and a resolve to stick to your guns. Because... In my mind, that's what he should say. If you're going to step into these places, these conversations, these struggles and and, and spheres of difficulty, you are going to have to have a backbone. But that's not what God says. He doesn't say, do justice and have a backbone and be bold and courageous and strong. No, he says, you want to be people who represent my justice in the world? Start here. Be humble and empathetic. Consider where the other person is coming from. Consider that maybe you don't have all the answers or the only perspective. Consider that you are not perfect and that you might have something to learn. And that sounds so simple, but it's hard. And I think that's why this verse says, love mercy. Fall in love with showing empathetic kindness. Don't just have a little of it on the side. Don't just sprinkle some compassion on top. The Bible says, adore it. Love it. Why? Because when you love something, you prioritize it and you'll sacrifice for it. You'll give up things in your own life for it. You guys know this. Because there's things in your life that you love. Some of you have a hobby that you love. And because you love it, because you have affection for this thing, this hobby, because it has a warm place in your heart, you spend time and money and resources and energy on that hobby. In fact, if I talk to your spouse, they might say you spend too much time and energy and money and resources on that hobby. Mine happens to be disc golf. You know, people say, I love to play disc golf, and you guys make fun of me, and I don't really care because I love it. I have a warm place in my heart for disc golf. People say, like, wow, Pastor Dave, you're one of those people who has, like, five or six discs? And I say, I have 40 discs. (laughs) My kids won't go to college because I have a disc golf collection now, right? I'm willing to sacrifice and prioritize my disc golf over their future education. That's not completely true. Um, I do have 40 discs, but they're not that much. And then there's people, see, there's things we love and we prioritize and we sacrifice for those things, but then there's people that we love and we prioritize for them and we sacrifice for them, don't we? There are people in your life who you love, love more than anyone else, and these are the people who get priority in your life. They get dibs on your schedule. You carve out time for them even when you're slammed at work. Because, friends, what you choose to love, you will prioritize and sacrifice for. And Micah is telling us in the face of injustice, fall in love with kindness and goodness and empathetic compassion. 
Fall in love with showing mercy. Adore it. Love it. Prioritize it. Sacrifice for it. Because biblical justice is not just something we do. It's something we must feel. You see, without empathy and compassion and emotion, they're just actions. And that is not God's idea of justice. God says when my people do justice and they do justice my way, there's always sincerity. There's always empathy. There's always compassion. There's always emotion and a heart that comes along with it. Think about this, friends. You know this to be true. In times in your life when you've needed mercy, when you've needed empathy, when you've needed compassion, when you've been in trouble, when you've faced a difficulty or struggle or injustice and you've needed help, if someone comes along and they're there to give you aid, to do some things, but there's no empathy, there's no sense of compassion, there's no attempt to sort of understand where you are or what you're facing or what you're going through. It can just feel really hollow. It feels like going to the DMV. You're desperate and the people across the desk don't care. It doesn't feel good. And God says, we're not the DMV, not my church, not my people. We don't just do because we have to. We come with compassion and empathy and kindness and mercy. But then all of a sudden, friends, you've been in those situations where you sense that the person who's come to help really cares, that they really want to understand and relate to you and show empathy and compassion, and it changes the whole experience. It's a completely different moment. You see, God says justice without empathy is not my justice at all. But he's also telling us here that empathy without activity is equally as bad. He said there must be empathy, but there must also be activity. You see, love and mercy is, is not just a, a call to empathy. It's also a charge to activity. And, and one of the great dangers of our day is that we, even us in the church, fool ourselves into thinking we are people of biblical justice because we like the idea of justice. We like the thought of justice, we like the concept. We agree intellectually with justice. Friends, I like the idea of eating healthy. It sounds amazing. I mean, I think about the kale and the low-fat chicken and the broccoli with no salt or butter. And, you know, I think about all these meals that I'll eat and I'll think about feeling good and getting in shape and my clothes fitting a little looser and Todd Schaefer giving me compliments when we meet for breakfast saying, Dave, you look good. All those things, they just, yeah, I like the idea of that. But you know what I don't like? Actually eating healthy. I much prefer ice cream and baked goods. Donuts for breakfast. I mean, let's go. Sesame Donuts, the best donut shop in town. Um, so, you know, there's a difference between liking the idea of something, loving the idea of something, and loving the thing itself. And so often we fool ourselves into thinking that is the same thing. It is not the same thing. Or we, we fool ourselves into thinking we're people of biblical justice because we have fuzzy feelings about injustice. We look at an ad in a magazine for a relief agency or see a picture of a hungry child and we feel really sorry for them. 
And we think our feelings make us compassionate people. Or we hear somebody say something prejudiced or racist, and we think to ourselves, I'm not like that. I, I don't say that stuff. I'm pretty enlightened. I must be a person who's for compassionate justice. Or, or we observe the lifestyle of a person more wealthy than we are, and we think to ourselves, you know, if I was that rich, you know, I'd be like a generous person. I would give so much money to those less fortunate to me. But we never stop to honestly look at how much we're giving, money-wise, time-wise, energy-wise, resource-wise, to people in need of justice now. You see, here's the irony. We can so easily give ourselves an A in the justice department because we have feelings of compassion when in all reality, we are not actually practicing compassion at all in any sort of tangible way. And it's an indictment against us, friends. I, I will be brutally honest here and tell you where I see this most often these days. And this might sting. By the way, I said this to the first service. I'll say it to you. If my sermons never sting, if, there are, if there's never a sermon where you walk out and think, mm, I didn't like that. Mm, I didn't, I'm not sure if I agree with that. If you never feel that way, go to a different church. Because the Bible, it will pierce us and cut us and, and, and change us and shape us and challenge us. Sometimes the truth of the scriptures hurt. Why? Because we're not perfect. And so back to the point, I'll be brutally honest here and tell you where I see this most often these days, this idea where we confuse ideas and fuzzy feelings for actual real biblical justice. I see it in people fooling themselves into thinking they are people of justice and mercy because they talk about Injustice, and they post and tweet opinions about justice and mercy, or because they vote a certain way on specific justice issues, and that can apply on both sides of the aisle. And again, I want to be real clear. I am not saying that what we believe and what we say and what we tweet and what we post on Facebook and what we vote does not matter. But what I am saying is this. When the Bible talks about doing justice... Showing kindness to the poor, having compassion for the vulnerable, empathy for the marginalized, mercy-filled love for the weak and oppressed. It does not simply mean having deep and tender feelings when you think about them. This goes far beyond posts and votes. It has to get down into the practical, real, everyday life of the people who follow God. Fundamentally, it means Help them do something. It's empathy in action. The New Testament in the book of James says it this way. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well. Keep warm and well fed. But does nothing about his physical needs. What good is it? You see... When you start actually doing compassion, when you get involved with real people, all of a sudden it takes real time and real energy and it's not idealized anymore and it's not all warm and fuzzy and it costs you and you can no longer just romanticize it. And people aren't always going to say thanks. People aren't always going to be grateful. 
The people you're looking to help and bring justice to aren't always going to appreciate you. Thank you so much for being so noble and altruistic with me. If you volunteer at Royal Family Kids Camp, sometimes the kids ain't grateful. It's going to be messy. It's going to be real life. But friends, I'll tell you what, in the midst of that, it will change you. It will change you. It's an invitation to change. See, every time you practice compassion, every time you practice empathetic justice, it changes you just a little bit. A guy by the name of Martin Seligman, who was the, the president of the American Psychological Association a few years ago, wrote a fascinating book called Authentic Happiness. And, and in his book, he talks about how we all in our world as human beings, but specifically as Americans in our culture today, tend to think that if we could just get more of the stuff that we want to get more of, then we'd be happy. More money, more sex, more chocolate, more success, more praise, more friends, more stuff, more achievement, more vacations, more free time. Seligman says, there is something for every single one of us that we all are tempted to believe that if we just had more of it, then we'd be happy. But he says, as it turns out, this is factually and just simply not true. And Seligman did this fascinating thing. He gave an assignment to a number of his classes and he instructed all of his students. He said, here's your homework. Go out and engage one pleasure activity this week. Go do one thing that you love to do. One thing that you think will make you just happier than you can be. By the way, this has to be the greatest class in the history of the world when that's the homework assignment. And they did. And then the next week he assigned them to go out and engage one act of compassion, one act of kindness for a person or persons who were in need, who were vulnerable, who were weak. And then the students were to write down their reflections on both things. This is what Seligman writes. The results were life-changing. The afterglow of the pleasurable activity hanging out with friends, watching a movie, eating a hot fudge sundae, whatever it was, paled in comparison with the effects of one act of compassion. Seligman says that all of his research points to the fact that when people are involved in acts of compassion, they become less self-absorbed, they become less depressed, they become more tuned into others, more capable of empathy, they have a greater sense of community and a decreased sense of loneliness. He writes, it's very ironic that when people's primary focus is on doing something that will make themselves happy, they get depressed. And when they focused on giving themselves to others, they get joy thrown into the bargain. You see, friends, when God says to you and me, do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God, maybe he's not just wanting to do something through us, but he desires to do something in us. Maybe this is where sanctification happens. You know, we have a mission statement around here, becoming like Jesus and making him known. And I know when we talk about 
justice, and we do a whole series on justice, most of you are thinking, yeah, and in this series we're focused on how are we going to make him known, and I want to say yes, and in this series we're going to be focused on how do we become like Jesus. Because when we do justice by loving mercy, when we fall in love with kehesed, empathy and compassion and undeserved kindness, we truly do follow the example of Jesus himself. Remember the definition of mercy, kehesed? To get inside someone else's skin, to view life from their perspective, to attempt to feel what they are experiencing in order that we might offer compassion. Listen to this verse. This is from Hebrews chapter 2, and it's about Jesus. For this reason, Jesus had to be made like us, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Friends, this verse tells us that Jesus, God himself, crawled into human skin so that he could experience firsthand our struggles and trials and difficulties and sufferings. And he did this that he might be merciful, that he might have empathy, that he might look beyond our behavior, that he might understand more fully our stories and experiences, that he might take you and me, his difficult, demanding, disrespectful, and sometimes even defiant kids and not give us what we deserve, but instead be the greatest example of mercy this world has ever known. And it cost him something, friends. And it cost him something. That mercy, that empathy... That justice, that that moment where God decided to make things right for you and me, or that moment where God decided to reach down and pull all of humanity back up to where they were supposed to be, it cost him something. There's a story about a kid named John Gilborn that I read this week. It's a basketball story, so I like it. John Gilborn grew up in Paradise, California. When he was five years old... He was diagnosed with a very aggressive form of muscular dystrophy, and his parents were told that he would consistently and steadily be destroyed by this disease, and his muscles would decay, and this would ultimately take his life. John writes about this, and he talks about his childhood and how it felt, and how every year it felt like he lost something. One year, it was the ability to run. And he couldn't play sports anymore with his friends. Another year, he could no longer walk straight and be inconspicuous in the halls at middle school. Another year is the ability to move his arms easily and then to control his speech. And somewhere along this journey, when he was a kid, he was named the poster child for muscular dystrophy in California, and he got to be a guest at the NFL-sponsored fundraising auction dinner for muscular dystrophy. And he's at this auction, and because 
he lived close to Sacramento. He was a huge fan of the Sacramento Kings, and he noticed that one of the items up for auction at this event was a basketball signed by all the Sacramento Kings, and this is back when they were good, and they almost won the championship, and they had Chris Weber and stuff, and they were robbed by the Lakers. Whole nother sermon. Um, <laughs> he noticed this ball of his favorite team with all of his favorite players, and so when the auction began, the numbers started to fly, and all of a sudden, John's hand threw up. And his mom knew that this was an item that he nor they could ever afford. And so she quickly grabbed his hand and pulled it down. But because John was sitting right in the very front, everyone saw that hand get raised. And the bidding for that basketball began to continue. And it went on and on and on and on. And it rose to an astronomical amount an amount far greater than it was really worth until finally this one gentleman in the very back raised his hand and named a figure that absolutely shocked the room and silenced everybody. And as he walked to the front to collect his prize, this prize that had cost him so much, instead of returning to his seat, he walked across the room and placed this ball in the thin, small hands of a boy who admired it so intently. In the hands, he put this ball in the hands that would never dribble it down a basketball court or throw it to a teammate or push it forward on a fast break. He put the ball in hands that would never fire a shot from the three-point line. He gave this young man something he could never afford and it cost him greatly. Friends, do you understand? That's what Jesus has done for us. The thing that we need and long for and yearn for and desire more than anything else in this world, to be right, to know that we're okay, to know that the God of the universe looks upon us and smiles and accepts us and receives us in spite of all of our sin. The thing that we long for more than anything else in this world, the thing that we could try to raise our hand and bid on but we could never afford on our own, Jesus purchases that thing and then puts it in our lap. He shows great mercy, amazing kindness, undeserved compassion and empathy for you and me. That's the gospel. And it didn't just cost him some money, it cost him his life. And in response to receiving this amazing and life-changing gift of God's grace and mercy, the question goes out to you and me, have you bought any basketballs for anybody else lately? Have you made any sacrifices to make things right with another Have you done anything? Have you you given any time or any energy or resources or attention so that you might reach down and pull someone up who's below you, who's been treated unfairly and unjustly, and you don't even know if they deserve it, and you don't care because you know that God did it for you when you didn't deserve it? See, the question is this. Has the mercy of God utterly transformed and changed your heart? If it has, then you understand the good news. The good news that God loves us just that much. Friends, we remember that every Sunday. 
that as Christians we are primarily defined as people who have received the astronomical mercy of God and his son Jesus Christ. What is the defining factor of our lives? That God has shown me mercy through his son. That his son hung and died on the cross for me. That I might be just made right with my heavenly father. And so this morning, we're going to come to these tables like we do every week, and we're going to remember that truth, that we are primarily a people who've been shown mercy, and then through that mercy are now empowered to go out and shower this world with mercy and empathy and undeserved kindness in ways that will shock them and amaze them, in ways that will make us prioritize and sacrifice our lives in a completely new way. So this morning, I want to ask you just to come to remember how much you're loved by your heavenly father and then to think, has this love changed me? Has this love in any practical, real, tangible way moved my heart and my life into a ministry of justice? And if the answer is no, maybe God's calling you today to take a first step to sign up for camp or come on Tuesday nights and be a part of the Jesus table where Needy and vulnerable and homeless people come for not just a meal, but for friendship and for someone to sit across the table from them and talk to them and say, you matter. You're significant because you were created in the image of God and I don't care where you live or what you're on. God loves you. Or maybe it's volunteering with one of our homes on the back property, a home for refugees or a home for single moms, or a home for people who are transitioning, who are, who are finding themselves just at the front edge of homelessness, and we're, we're trying to, to help them and pull them back to a place where they can live the way they're supposed to live, where we're trying to do justice and make things right. Maybe it's a neighbor, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a family member. Where is the place that God is calling you to show amazing compassion and mercy and kindness because of what he's done for you and shown you? Consider that today. Don't walk out of here. Don't walk away from this five-week series and be a person who is still just living for yourself and just kind of doing a few minor little things. Let the heart of God transform your heart. I'm going to pray and the tables will be open. Come forward and remember how much your God loves you. Father, this morning, as we wrap up this series, I am painfully aware that there is more to say that you want to say more to us. But I also know that the main message is this. We are people who have received great mercy, phenomenal grace. Your love has been poured and showered out upon us even though we did not deserve it. Our prayer together, Lord, is that that truth, that reality, that transformed and changed existence in eternity would Shape us and change us to be people of chesed in this world, practically and really in the lives of the people you bring our way. That's our prayer, and we pray it together in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll confess, I always want to change the words to that song, especially after this series. Let heaven fall, not just as we sing, but as we live. Not just as we gather here, but as we go out there. Let heaven fall then. And so I love the song, but let's change that one word next time, Josh. Can we do that just for me? Are we allowed to do that? Is that against the rules? Hey, if you need prayer this morning for any reason at all, don't miss the opportunity to have people... 
pray for you. And, and if you just need someone to talk to, or if you're going through anything in this life, or if you, you want to pray for a friend, people will be in the back room, the connect room, and they would love to pray for you. So please take advantage of that. And then go and be the church and do justice and love mercy and walk humbly with your God. All right, friends, see you soon.